Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. On today's show, we have Stephanie. You know, Stephanie just really moved me actually on a post on Facebook. She was sharing so vulnerably about the loss of her son, Joey, and what that has meant for her and for her family and her for her community. I love that she's able to share her story and show the impact that Joey's life had on the world. I know that you are going to love this episode. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so glad that we're able to sit down together and talk. Uh, I'm wondering, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Um, I'm Stephanie and uh, I am just a mom, full-time working mom (laughs) um, that was part of the March of Dimes Ambassador family this year, which is, I think, where you kind of found me online. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And you say just a mom. That's a pretty big title, don't you think? (laughs) Yes, very true. Uh, Yeah, it takes it takes quite a bit. But yes, that is how I was trying to think and not that it necessarily matters which group, but there was I I know you had shared your story and I just read it and instantly um, felt so connected with your story and just knew like I just had this feeling that needed to get you on the podcast for people to be able to hear and um, for you to be able to share your story more. And so I asked and you graciously agreed. And so I'm glad that we're able to to dive into some of that. You know, um, I just really was was so in awe of so many points. And so I'm wondering if you can just kind of start talking listeners through your story. Um, You can start wherever you'd like. Sure, absolutely. So um, my story really starts a little over five years ago. Um, I became pregnant with twin boys and found out right around my husband's birthday that I was pregnant. Um, And it was my second pregnancy. I had a three-year-old daughter at the time and was very excited. We had been trying for a while and second time around, didn't really expect anything crazy. Like, oh, been there, done that. So I went to my first ultrasound appointment by myself, just that normal, you know, dating, see how far along I was. And the ultrasound technician was like, oh, here's the baby. Looks good. Oh, here's another baby. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You're having two babies. You have twins. And I just immediately started crying just out of shock. And like, I'm you trying to tell me right now. Um, And then she also told me that the babies were measuring a little bit different in size. So they weren't identical. They weren't, um, they couldn't see anything wrong quite yet, but they weren't um, measuring I guess you could say like the same size as far as how far along I was. So they couldn't really tell. So they wanted me to go back a week later and have another ultrasound. So I went back again and they were like, you know, they're still measuring a little bit different in size. So they wanted me to go see a specialist just to double check and make sure. But my doctor didn't really think that anything was necessarily wrong at that point. 
Um, so I went to see a specialist about two weeks after that um, with my husband in tow this time because I was like, I'm not going through any more surprises by myself. Yes. And that first appointment um, with the specialist, they found that the baby that was measuring smaller had a heart condition. So that heart condition was called AVSD or uh, atriventricular septal defect. So that means that he really only had one out of four chambers forming in his heart. Um, so at that point, you know, kind of sat us down, told us at that point what the survival rates were and how difficult the pregnancy could be, the risks involved. Um, we didn't even really know what to think at that point. So we just kind of went home, tried to compressed all that information and had to go back in a couple of weeks for another ultrasound. Um, all the way along, my other son was happy, healthy, in his own little sack, living his best life, <laughs> um, you know, growing big and strong. Um, that next ultrasound found that he also had swollen ventricles in his brain. So now we had not just one birth defect, now we had a second one on top of it. Um, so he gave us all these different options of trying to terminate one baby, leaving the other there, all these other tests that we could do for like genetic testing, um, all of which would have some sort of risk to the other baby. So I didn't wanna risk anything. I had one healthy baby in there that had no issues at all whatsoever. Um, and leaving him in there to grow and to live as long as he could, wasn't going to put any risk to my other healthy child that I was growing. So we decided to just stay the course and do whatever we could to get him as far as he could in life and um, really kind of see where life took us. Um, the next ultrasound, because with everything going on, I determine a high-risk pregnancy. Um, so I had ultrasounds pretty much all the time. Um, we went back and as he continued to develop, they found more birth defects. So the next one, we found a cleft lip and palate. And then the ultrasound after that, they found that he had rocker feet, which were all kind of signs of um, different genetic defects that he could have. They never really told us what the definitive cause of all of his birth defects were, not that we really needed to know at that time. Um, he managed to kind of stay the course as we continued to go along through my pregnancy. And around 22 weeks, I started to have very strong contractions um, that would last for a long time. It would be like, two to five minutes long without stopping. Um, very, very painful. I would be unable to move, but by the time I would get to a doctor's office for them to check anything, I would either no longer be in pain, they couldn't see anything. I think they thought I was crazy at one point. <laughs> um, and that happened for about two weeks straight on and off until I finally went back for another ultrasound and they found that the inner membrane of his amniotic sac had ruptured. 
So membrane was kind of wrapping around him um, because with the cleft lip and palate, he wasn't able to swallow the fluid and it was starting to cause the fluid to kind of build up within his sac. Um, so they kind of warned me like, this means that your water may break really at any moment because the lining was becoming very thin. Um, so all along that, my daughter, who's three years old, we kind of filled her in along the way of what was happening and that she was going to have two bro baby brothers. But we kind of warned her that one wasn't healthy because we didn't want her to be devastated along the way there. Um, but you can't really give all those details to a three-year-old. Um, so we kind of told her that her brother Joey had um, something wrong with his heart. So amongst all of that, I'd be out at the store, you know, pregnant with twins, trying to grocery shop or something. And, you know, people are like, oh, when are you due? And trying to make small talk. And my daughter's like, oh, I'm going to have two brothers, but one has a broken heart and he's probably going to go to heaven. And I'm just like, oh. how did you end with that conversation afterwards and trying to make her feel validated in her conversations. And so that entire pregnancy was difficult from dealing with all of his um, diagnoses and my pain and her understanding of what was going on and really everything kind of mixed together. Um, and then at 24 weeks, my water did break. So I was rushed to the hospital, um, had a placental abruption when my water broke too. So there was a lot of bleeding, um, rushed in right through the emergency room. And I was in the hospital for five weeks waiting, trying to make sure I didn't go into labor, trying to keep the babies alive and healthy and in place <laughs> for as long as possible. Um, and really just stayed the course and hung out there, made a few friends and uh, with my nurses and multiple roommates that came and went and delivered and um, hit their babies until I went into labor at 29 weeks. And they couldn't stop it. So I had to have an emergency C-section um, where Joey, who had all of the birth defects was born first. And we had discussed with multiple specialists with all of his conditions, like independently, where if he had only had one condition, they thought he could have survived, you know, they could have fixed it or helped him or had surgeries, but with everything combined, he was just too small um, and too many things working against him. So we had decided that when he was born, we just wanted to be made comfortable. If they could help him breathe, that would be great. Do whatever they could do so that he didn't suffer. Um, but unfortunately, when he was born, because of the cleft lip and palate, they couldn't get a tube in for him to be innovated to be able to breathe. Um, so the one thing that I do remember is the nurse coming out with him after they had taken him back um, to try to get a tube in. She carried him out with a little hat on. I remember it being a light green hat. And she had him wrapped up in a blanket and handed him to my husband with tears in her eyes, just saying, I couldn't get the tube in. And she just apologized that she was so sorry, but he was alive, but she couldn't get the tube in. 
Um, and so she handed him over, his eyes were closed, um, never opened his eyes, never really moved, but he made one noise um, every time he tried to take a breath. And it was like a little squeak, almost like a mouse, um, where you could just hear like a small little inhale of air. Um, that was the one sign that we kind of knew he was there with us. So we just kind of told him and kind of kept telling him how much we loved him and that we were there with him and we held him. And uh, my other son, Jack, was born one minute later and he was three pounds, six ounces, born at 29 weeks, which is pretty big for a preemie <laughs> or 29 weeks. And um, he was intubated and whisked off to the NICU where he had zero issues or challenges other than just learning how to breathe and learning how to eat and growing. And he was kind of our little rock star baby that he didn't cry. He didn't put up a fuss. He had no challenges and he just kind of hung out and did what we needed him to do until he could come home. Yes. Uh, so Joey stayed with us for about 90 minutes after he was born. We were able to get him baptized in the hospital. So they were able to have a chaplain come to my room, um, pray over him. And almost immediately after the last prayer, when my husband was holding him, the nurse came over, listened to his heart and called his time of death. And then everybody just silently kind of left the room and we just got to sit there and hold him you know, as long as we were able to, you know, obviously cry and continue to tell him that we loved him and uh, spend as much time there as we wanted to with him. And uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning. So nobody else was around. It was quiet and peaceful. And um, just one of those moments that I kind of remember almost just kind of like a dream. Like it was just very peaceful and very, um, I don't know, very silent. Like I don't remember a lot of commotion or um, it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't, um, it wasn't anything that I really remember being hysterical or, you know, it was, I knew that this was coming and I knew kind of what his fate was going to be. And although it was, soul crushing as a mother to know that your child wasn't going to be here for me to watch him grow up. It was the most peaceful way that I could think of for him to go and for my husband and I to just be there alone with him and have that time without anybody distracting us or milling about the room or making noise. You know, it was just a time for us to be there and hold him and love him and, um, it was kind of a precious moment for us to be there. Um, and we had all the time in the world to, to really just love on him as much as we could. And then after that, you know, we got to love on Jack in the NICU. And I think the hardest part for me was when I was discharged from the hospital. Um, three days later, I had to go home and leave my baby in the hospital. So I felt kind of torn of, almost like I lost two babies, you know, like I was going home empty handed yes. and I had just had a C-section, so I couldn't really get around very well. I had to rely on other people to drive me up to the hospital to see him. Um, 
and I was really, really struggling with getting up there. And I sat in the NICU for eight hours a day for 53 days straight, just holding him, reading to him, talking to him, learning how to feed him through a tube in his nose, changing his diaper in the, you know, um, isolate and um, having the nurses laugh at me when he, you know, pooped on my hand. (laughs) You know, me trying to learn how to get around all the wires and change his clothes and, um, you know, the, the big moments of like, oh my gosh, he actually drank out of a bottle for the first time ever and learning all the terms of how many cc's he could drink and um then there was the terror of bringing him home after 53 days of him being in the hospital he was still tiny only just over six pounds when we brought him home um still three weeks before his due date and he had had breathing problems was on oxygen up until about two days before we brought him home and I was terrified, um, excited and thrilled that he was coming home, yeah. but still terrified that, you know, what if something happened to him once I brought him home? You know, I already lost one child and it was almost like if my body couldn't protect one child, how could I protect this one? You know, I was struggling internally a lot with um, my capabilities as a mother and my ability to really protect him and you know I was lucky that I had extra time off of work with him being a preemie I couldn't send him to daycare I couldn't have someone full-time to watch him um it was really all on me and I didn't really sleep (laughs) I didn't really do much of anything because he really slept great when I held him so I kind of sat up most of the night rocking him and holding him and getting him to sleep because if I tried to lay him down he'd just wiggle and roll over and I'm like that's not how you're supposed to you have to sleep a certain way or else you're not going to breathe right and yeah it was just going crazy with myself trying to make sure that he was okay um so that first year I feel like with not taking care of myself I kind of pushed myself into this downward spiral too so I focused so much time first on taking care of him and trying to do my best to make sure that he was thriving and he was growing and he did great. Um, He was not measured as a preemie by the time he was six months old. Like he grew thriving. He's five years old now and he's gigantic. (laughs) My husband's six, five and both my kids take after him with their height. Um, So they're both going to be towering over me in no time. Um, but as soon as I knew he was okay and he was thriving, I kind of threw myself into work and into doing anything that I could to kind of keep my mind off of all of the thoughts on where I had failed. Um, I didn't really want to face my grief and face all of the things that were haunting me internally. And, you know, I wish I had done more when I was holding Joey in the hospital. I missed, I didn't look at his fingers or his toes. You know, I held him and I said all these things and I looked at his face and I I didn't, you know, unwrap him. I, I have no idea what his legs look like. Um, you know, there were certain things that after the fact, I was like, you know, I buried my child before I knew all of these things. 
Um, and I had a lot of regrets and a lot of what ifs um, that really, really kind of put me in a bad depression. And it took until my daughter did a Mother's Day project about a year and a half after the boys were born where it was all about my mom. And this little card came home with my mom's favorite thing to do. And she put it work. And it kind of broke my heart where I was like, but that's not really what mommy's favorite thing to do is. It's just what I've been doing the most. And so that was kind of a, a light bulb for me to make a big change in my life. Um, and that's kind of where a big turning point kind of came where I, I knew I had to do something. It took me quite a while to actually do it, but that's where I was kind of like, okay, I don't know what to do yet, but I know I need to do something. Um, I had to be more intentional about my time, about how I interacted with my kids and spent more time with them and was more intentional with the time that I did have with them. You know, I feel like I was always so distracted too of trying to make sure I got everything done around the house and got all my work done, the dishes were done, house is clean, you know, all the things that we need to get done. I was always doing instead of spending intentional time with my kids. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There are so many things that you said. Do you mind if we hit on some of them real quick and then we'll continue yeah. along? Okay. Absolutely. All, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh my goodness. My, as a mom, my heart, I'm telling you, breaking right along with yours. Um, I just, I love the fact that throughout all of these of these really hard losses, you were able to find ways to really find that peace throughout it in that mm -hmm. moment, in that moment. Right. Because losing Joey, that, there's not even words, let's be real. Right. There's not words for that. But that you were able yep. to have peace in that moment is, is mm -hmm. pretty remarkable. I'm curious, what do you think, like, how, how is that possible? Do you have any thoughts on... I think with all the turmoil that we went through during my pregnancy, I really only think it was possible because of knowing what was coming that I was able to finally kind of understand that it wasn't in my hands anymore. Um, I did everything that I could do while I was pregnant with him. I did my best to take care of him, um, to do everything the doctors told me to. Um, and at that point, you know, I tried to lean on my faith too throughout that process. And as soon as I went into labor and, you know, I was on the operating table, I almost had this odd sense of calm kind of come over me where I was still anxious. I was terrified, but my body just kind of relaxed all of a sudden. And I was like, you know what? I've done what I can at this point. There's really no more that I physically can do to protect these babies right now. And it's in God's hands. It's in these doctors and nurses hands right now. Um, my body's really done everything that it physically and possibly can do. Um, and I felt like at that point, you know, I poured all the love that I could possibly pour into him and 
I said everything that I could say to him. And the fact that I was able to actually hold him and see him. And I feel like that helped me a lot too. Um, you know, when he was just in my belly, you know, obviously as a mother, when you're growing a child, you have that kind of instant love for them, no matter what stage of your pregnancy you're in. I feel like once you know you're pregnant, there's that instant connection. And you know, once you're growing a baby, like you just know that you're gonna love that child no matter what. Um, and for me with Joey, no matter what um, ailments or conditions he had, you know, even with the cleft lip and palate, you know, some people could be a little put off by his physical appearance. Like I just held him and looked at him and I was like, he's gorgeous. I loved him from the moment I held him. And I just had this like moment of peace and clarity holding him and just being like, I created him. Like my body, no matter what challenges he faced, he was still perfect in my mind. And I just knew that he was for a reason. Yes. And at this point, I feel like right now also I have a lot more clarity than maybe I did then too. But I found that his life had a purpose. You know, looking back, I know more now what that purpose was. Um, but that calmness that I felt was just, I think, more so having that overwhelming feeling of love and being able to hold him and see him and, you know, just, just really love on him. And, yeah. you know, even because he wasn't alive or breathing, it didn't make a difference to me at that time, you know, like he was still there in my arms. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm a firm believer that every life has a purpose every life mm -hmm. and so whether um, a baby is born and they are breathing at that moment or not their life still has a yes. purpose and still impacts impacts their parents it impacts the people around them it can impact so many people I mean we probably wouldn't be having this conversation now right if it wasn't for Jerry, right truly I mean how Absolutely. would we have ever ran into each other you know yes. and so to think about exactly. that impact it is pretty cool really that he was able to yeah. impact the world like that really absolutely awesome. It's really awesome. So the other thing that I keep thinking as you're talking is about Jack being in the NICU. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a, um, a dear friend, and, and she listens to the podcast, and I'm not going to go into her story because it's not my story to share. But um, I yeah. do remember her saying to me how hard that was for her to leave the hospital, too, and to know yep. that, that she was discharged at that point. And um, I'm just – I'm wondering, you know – I don't know that we do a good enough job truly of checking on moms and dads when their babies are in the NICU. Um, did mm -hmm. you, did you feel like you had a lot of support throughout that time or how was that for you? Um, I feel like I, I did and I didn't. I feel like when I was in, when I was there at the hospital, they had a lot of resources and a lot of support while I was there. Um, I could also call the NICU at any single point, day or night, to check in on him. So they were great about me being able to call, check in to see how he was doing. Um, they would answer any questions that I had. I could show up day or night, really anytime, and just sit by his bedside. Um, I got to know his nurses very well. Um, so we got to build some relationships there. And um, Outside though, when I was home, unless I called, you know, I was just kind of 
sitting there wondering and feeling kind of alone and not really knowing what to do with myself, really, you know, after sitting there all day, it's kind of like, I mean, he, he was also a really good baby, you know, he didn't have a lot of challenges. So I almost felt like I was kind of being a little neurotic calling the NICU all the time. Cause they'd be like, Oh, hi, Mrs. Steimer. Like he's fine. He, he ate and he pooped and he's sleeping still. And that's about it. And I'm like, okay, just checking. <laughs> but I'll probably call again in two hours, but <laughs> thanks for the update. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then I'd show up again at eight o'clock the next morning and I'd sit there until five or six. And then my husband would show up in the evenings and stay there while I was home with the kid or with Lily. And, you know, we would do our rotations and go up there together whenever we could on the weekends when we had someone else to watch your daughter. And, um, you know, there when we were in the hospital, they had support and a, a team of people that would help us with parking passes and, you know, passes for food and different things, resources. They would hand out free books for us to read to him. Um, he would, we'd walk in and he'd have like a new blanket or something in his little crib and, and different little cute things that they would do. And they even had a team that would help us kind of connect him with our daughter because it was flu season and she couldn't come up and even meet her brother for the longest time. Oh, goodness. It was heartbreaking for her where she was like, why does everybody else get to meet Jack and I don't? Because you had to be an adult and there could only be a certain number of people at his bedside at a time um, because children weren't allowed in there at the time. Um, so they had a, a team that would write her letters from Jack and take pictures of him. And they would send pictures of him with a letter, you know, dear Lily, I'm having a great day and oh. I miss you. to meet you, you know, love Jack. And then she would get it and she would be so excited and she still has all those pictures and frames up in her bedroom. And then she would, we'd help her write a letter back to him and she'd put a picture of herself and then they would put the picture next to him in the crib and take a picture of him with her picture to send back. So it was really cute that they would do things yes. like that to help connect her. Um, so that was really helpful as you know, a parent to see that connection building with your kids. And then I remember the first time when they lifted the ban on siblings in the NICU, I was sitting there holding him and all of a sudden I watched a little boy walk by and I was just like, wait a minute, there's, there's a kid in here. Yes. <laughs> and the nurse was like, oh yeah, they just lifted the ban this afternoon. And I was like, what? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. So I'm texting my husband and I'm like, go pick up Lily right now and get her up here. I'm like, leave work. I don't care what you're doing. Like, so he was like, well, I'm in the meeting. I can't leave right now, but I'll pick her up and we'll go up there. Um, and I remember I'm like, okay, well, we can't do it right the second, but we got home, we got Lily and went up to the NICU that evening. And, you know, the look on her face was just priceless. Of, you know, she was kind of a little nervous looking at the monitors and hearing the beeps and he's still got all the wires attached to him, but um I remember just seeing like she couldn't get the smile off of her face she was so excited sitting there holding her brother but kind of looking off into the distance of like the monitors like I couldn't get her to look at the camera trying to take a picture of her she was just like you know <laughs> off and nervous and um it was just the sweetest thing um 
and that's like kind of one of those memories that I'll cherish forever when she got to meet her brother for the first time and um you know one of those moments that even after all the challenges that we went through um seeing her and Jack together was kind of one of those bright spots in the the bumpy road that we were going through at the time yes absolutely you know, I think uh, through hearing your story, it, it really seems like that there was kind of like this back and forth, like push and pull throughout it, because yes, there were moments of happiness, absolutely. And there were moments of sadness, too. And so it, it, it seems like almost I would imagine it would have been challenging to kind of feel pulled back and forth. And how do you navigate all of that? Oh, yes, that was really hard. Um, you know, going back and forth between Jack and Joey and especially right after they were born too, of, you know, raising a three-year-old daughter, having a newborn and experiencing the loss of a child all at the same time. It was like one of the hardest experiences of my entire life of really trying to go through all those motions um, at the same time and trying to keep my emotions together and trying to stay strong for everybody else in my family, um, trying to have conversations with other people over milestones of my living children, um, while also grieving my loss. Um, you know, I remember even just having conversations at Joey's funeral of like almost trying to comfort other people mm -hmm. because I didn't know what else to do with myself at that point. Um, you know, they're, trying to comfort me and say things. And I remember just looking at them and being baffled by some of the things people were saying, like, you know, oh, well, at least you have, you know, a baby to bring home. And I'm like, what? I I know I do, but he's still not home. And right. I lost a child. And like, I don't even understand how to respond to some things like that. And it was, it was so hard on me to even like carry on a conversation. You know, there, sometimes I felt like I just wanted to walk away yeah. and hide and kind of avoid life. And then, you know, still Lily starting school or, um, you know, even the following year, I think she started preschool after Jack was home for a year. Um, it was hard. Him still, even though he was thriving, that first year of me not being in a good place and still struggling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I wonder um, if we can we can go back. There's there's a mm -hmm. few thoughts that have come into my mind. I keep thinking about your C-section that you had, and, and mm -hmm. I had one with my son as well. And I think that, you know, that calmness that you talked about, I really mm -hmm. think that... I don't know about for you, but for me, as as moms, like you said, we do all that we can, right? And I think that's yeah. like our final step, truly, and being able to yeah. like do what is in our control. So in this moment, I know that I have to go through something. Let's be real. It's not fun. I mean, a C-section yep. is not a walk in the park. <laughs> it's pretty terrible, exactly. you know, but yep. but we do it because we know that's, that's what our kids need. And, yeah. and so you move forward with that. And I just think that's really admirable to, um, to, to accept that and be like, yep, this is what we're doing. And I'm going to be calm throughout this and, and know that I have given it my absolute all and done everything that I could. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
you know, the other thing I keep thinking too is like, <laughs> I just had this co- I, today. I've recorded a few different podcast episodes, and I had this conversation with someone earlier. Like, what? Sometimes I'm like, what? Do people not have filters? Like, do they just not have filters? Oh, I know. <laughs> like, who would say that? But. But I think people get really awkward, to be honest, and they just don't know what to say. And they fill the silence with things that are, are actually can be very, very hurtful. And they don't really realize it. I don't think people intend right. to, to be Absolutely. Mean, but um, yeah, that can be really hurtful because you can be really happy and really thankful for whatever it is in life, whether it's a child sure. or, or whatever relationship, whatever that looks like. And you can still be sad and, and be grieving the loss yeah. of something else. And it, one doesn't negate the other. I mean, they're not absolutely. Exclusive. Yep, absolutely. And dealing with both of those at the same time, just on a personal level can be, you know, very difficult too. you know, having those emotions that are fighting against each other at the same time. Um, can almost be crippling, you know, when you're having those two powerful things occurring simultaneously. It's it's hard. And having someone not understand that and not being able to assist with that or even know how to communicate with you during that, it's just terrible sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you'd feel comfortable if we, like, brainstorm some ways that people could have been or, like, what – what would have been helpful? I mean, obviously each person's an individual with like what would be helpful for them in this situation. But I'm just sure. wondering, even if we could give people some guidance on like, okay, here's something that would not be a good idea to say. So what if we reframe it this way? Or here's how you sure. show up for people who, you know, are dealing with a grieving, you know, with grieving and, and are also maybe dealing with their baby being in the NICU. Like, do you have thoughts on that? Like, Sure. Um, I mean, for me in particular, at least showing up for me during that time was a lot about also just asking about my experience. Um, you know, for me, the best experience I had was when I got to actually talk about Joey and talk about how we were able to spend time with him. Um, those that were just, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and continued on their way that I never really talked to again didn't really help so much. Um, but I remember being able to sit down and really have conversations with people where they asked me like, you know, how are you? How, tell me about Joey. Tell me, like they wanted to hear his story or hear about, you know, just actually just saying his name. Yes. Like people say his name, like, tell me about Joey or, um, you know, just wanting to see his picture or um, even just sitting to listen was very helpful. Um, I was actually just talking to someone the other day that she doesn't even have children of her own, but she had a friend that lost a child. And she was like, I'm not a parent. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And, you know, my advice to her was you don't always need to have advice. You don't need to always have something to say yes. you could there to listen sometimes people just need to talk um and they just need to maybe have someone that they can cry to or vent to or that they can openly say what they're thinking you know i had a lot of regrets or a lot of things that i was thinking that i was afraid to say out loud to people um, and I had a friend that would come over and I could just say those things and she would just listen and be like, You're, it's okay to feel that way. 
It's okay to think those things. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. There's no right or wrong way to think or to feel in those moments. Um, and I think it's important for people going through loss to know that. And I think it's important for people that are supporting people going through loss to know that, that even just being there and listening and talking to them and letting them express themselves however they need to is important. Um, and letting them know that they're not alone and that they're doing whatever they need to do is okay. Yes, absolutely. I um, love so many things that you said. I think the the validation piece of that, that it's okay to feel however you feel. It's okay to take your time through grief. It's okay if you don't want to see people. It's okay if you do want to see people. I mean, yes. whatever that looks like is absolutely okay. The other thing that you said is is what I recommend to um, clients. I'm a mental health therapist as well, and so it's what I recommend to clients a mm-hmm. lot and even remember myself is that people do want to hear their loved one's name a lot. And so whenever yes. I'm meeting with someone who's dealing with grief and loss, I do try to use the name of whomever they lost because I think yep. it's powerful and it acknowledges that you acknowledge their life and, and the loss and that you too mm-hmm. – are obviously not in the same way, but are, are acknowledging that that is a, 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 trem- a tremendous loss and to be supportive yeah. of that. And so I love that you brought those up. I think that'll be really helpful for people. Absolutely. You know, the last thing too, before we move past that, I think is like, if you don't know what to say, so like you said earlier, first of all, a lot of times you just need to listen and also maybe just don't say anything. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> It's like that saying, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yes. Unsure. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes if they're okay with it, just give them a hug. Yes. Know that you're there if they need you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it. Yeah, that is true. That is very, very true. That's great advice. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, can you tell us a little bit about being an ambassador family and how that all came about and, and what that yes. means for people who may not know? Absolutely. Um, so the year after I delivered the boys, we started a team with the March of Dimes for their uh, March for Babies. So it's really just a team that we gather with our close friends and family to raise money for the March of Dimes. And we do a walk every year, um, which is really fun. We just put on our purple shirts with our team name, which is Jaywalking for Jack and Joey. And we get the family together. The kids love it because they get to have a little superhero run and we get to take a nice little stroll through a park together and they have bounce houses and food and, you know, the kids have a ball. Um, And so this year I reached out to the local director because I wanted to do a little bit more. I wanted to volunteer just to help out and uh, wanted to just do more than raise money. I wanted to give my time as well. So I sat down with her and she's like, oh, what capacity? And I was like, I don't know, what do you have? <laughs> what do you need people for? So I was trying to help her find new ideas for this year's event. And, you know, I sat down with her and just told her my story and, um, you know, exactly what I just pretty much went through and, you know, shared here with you. And she was like, wow, do you want to be our ambassador family this year? And she kind of just went through and told me what that entailed. And really it's just been sharing my story more openly at this year's walk. I got to get up on stage and kind of share our story a little bit more. Um, There's been some more speaking engagements. 
really just um, helping to raise some more awareness, both um, you know, in public, online, kind of sharing stories, getting people in the community to feel more comfortable sharing their stories too, um, and letting people know that they're not alone and that there's more support out there if they need it. Um, and with you know, partnering with them and being the ambassador family, it's been probably the most therapeutic thing that I think I could have done this year to really help myself heal um, and really help myself feel validated too in helping others. Um, being able to share Joey's story uh, more publicly and get it out there for others that might be going through something similar or have gone through something similar might still be in that dark place that I found myself in afterwards um, to show them that there is, you know, some light on the other side or there is a way to get through it. And there are people out there that have been there that they could talk to or that, um, you know, have just been there and know what they're going through and to know that there's no right or wrong way to feel, to think. Um, it's been the most rewarding experience that I think I've ever had. Um, and it's been just so amazing. And I'm so excited to have been able to do it. And I'm actually kind of sad for this year to end. And uh, I wish I could keep doing it, but sadly there will be a new family next year. <laughs> um, I'm excited to kind of pass the torch and let somebody else you know, be able to share their story and continue on. But I will keep in touch with the director. I've become really good friends with her this year and we've got some great things in store to kind of keep moving along. And I'm gonna keep working with her on some other some other things to kind of build our local community and uh, hopefully do some more small events locally to reach out and talk to other women and families and try and help out as much as we can. Yes, I love that. You know, one thing that that I, I heard through through your message too, it's really that connection piece, just letting people know that a lot of times when we go through things, you know, it, it feels very isolating, right? And it feels like we are alone. Um, but just to know that somebody has, has walked even a similar path, even a close, I mean, far related path yes. can help and make all the difference. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, some of the connections that I've made just through um, this year have been amazing. You know, having some of the conversations, even with stories that are so far from mine, there's been bits and pieces of, oh my gosh, you felt that way too. Um, build such a connection and makes people feel so validated in their emotions and their thought processes. You know, it can be so healing. Um, that helps someone just move past a roadblock that they've been stuck in. Um, it can really, really help to just have that connection. Yes. Yeah. Connection really fuels everything in life. I a hundred percent believe that. That's really yep, great. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering as we're wrapping up here, can I ask you a few questions that I ask everyone on the podcast? Sure. All right. So the first one is Brene Brown. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her or not, um, but are you a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, okay. Just a little bit. Yeah. That's okay. No worries at all. That's perfect. Um, so she has a book, um, Braving the Wilderness and a Netflix special, which is pretty cool too, if you want to check it out. But um, she has this concept of really like 
stepping into the wilderness and not really being sure of where you're going and being alone and along the way finding yourself and other people as well and so um, I'm wondering it could be about this situation or any situation in life like what pops into your mind when you think about stepping into the wilderness I think there's probably two situations that kind of pop into my mind Um, the first would be when I realized I was throwing myself into work so much um, after having the boys and I realized I needed to change, I had kind of set a precedence in the job that I was in, that I was working so many hours that I couldn't really effectively pull myself back. I, after over 10 years, ended up switching jobs and going to a new company. Um, and that was like absolutely terrifying for me. Um, it was in a big comfort zone of, you know, over 10 years with one company abruptly going somewhere that I had never gone before. And it was, you know, from a smaller company of, you know, 50 employees to a global company of thousands of employees all over the world. And me feeling like this little tiny, you know, small town girl in a giant company, not knowing if it was going to be a good fit or not, but feeling like I needed it for my family, for me. Um, so that was me feeling kind of like going out on my own, not knowing a single person where I was starting a new job and trying to really just find who I was and what I was going to be there and how I was going to make it fit into my new life for myself. Um, and really kind of the second one would be when I became the ambassador family for the March of Dimes. It's kind of a funny thing that, um, I had to do so much public speaking because when I was in college, I took a public speaking class and my professor came out and told me that he really hoped I never, ever did public speaking as a career because I was so bad at it. He was like, don't you ever, ever try and public speak because this, this is not for you. You're just really not good. Like I would shake, I would stutter. I would sweat, like I just could not get in front of people and speak at all. I was a mess. Um, And somehow through this past year, I've gained so much confidence. I've been able to get up in front of people. I've been filmed. I've, you know, been able to get up on stage in a big fancy dress after watching a film of me at a gala and, you know, be able to speak without tripping or falling and (laughs) making a fool of myself. Um, So it's been like a huge kind of growth experience for me of almost changing who I am completely by telling my story and evolving as a person and, you know, kind of coming out of the wilderness of uh, really just who I am as a person and becoming someone new by you know, I feel like Joey's transformed, you know, being able to tell his story, this is his purpose. His purpose has really become teaching me who I'm meant to be and who the world needs me to be, you know, being able to tell his story has given me the confidence to get out there and tell his story to help other people. And the more that I tell it, the more confident I am, the more I'm able to um, just really know who I am and what I'm meant to be and what I'm made for. And, um, 
if it weren't for him, you know, I'd still be shaking and <laughs> sweating and unable to really even have this conversation right now. You know, I'd be terrified. And uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been amazing. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing both of those. I really, I really appreciate, appreciate your, um, authenticity and vulnerability as you share that. And, uh, I honestly had chills when I heard you talking about just becoming who you are and Joey helping you to become who you are. That is, um, oh, that's just beautiful. It really is beautiful. So, You know, the, the very last question before I'll ask if you have, um, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and ask this real quick before I forget. Do you have anywhere that people can follow your journey if they want to, do you have any social media or anything that you would feel comfortable oh, sharing? Sure. Yeah. My, um, Instagram is just at S Steimer. Um, I'm on Facebook too, Stephanie Steimer. Um, I have a blog too, cool. which I kind of update somewhat regularly. It's got Joey's story written on there. Um, it's it's about timeforme.com. Um, but one that I just kind of started last year, um, I kind of just as a way for me to write. I write all the time when I need to get something out. Um, some of it's, you know, deep. Some of it's really just funny of what happened to me that day. Um, that I think people might just get a laugh out of. Um, and some of it's when I'm having a rough day and I just need to go sit at, you know, his grave site and get it all out, you know? Um, but yeah, I love that. Thank you. I didn't know that you blog as well. I'm definitely going to check that out. That's awesome. And I love the name. I love the name. So thank you. So the very last thing, can you tell me who sticks out in your mind as the biggest encouragers of your life? Oh my goodness. It can be more than one. No pressure. (laughs) Oh, sure. Um, you know, my mom has always encouraged me to really just be whoever I'm meant to be and do whatever, um, my heart leads me to do. So my mom's always been my first encourager from day one. Um, you know, right now I have a friend at work, Andrea, she is like my biggest cheerleader and, um, since I started my job a little over two years ago, her and I have just connected so much. And, um, you know, if I'm having a rough day, she's the one that I'll reach out to first and be like, oh my gosh. And she'll be like, girl, get up. Like, she'll <laughs> tell me, you know, go wash your face. Like the Rachel yes, Hollis yes. And, go do this and get up and uh, take care of yourself, drink your water. Yes. <laughs> um, so she's kind of my biggest supporter and cheerleader and um, you know, she lets me vent and lets me, you know, cry on her shoulder if I need to and yeah. take a glass of wine if I'm having a bad day. Yes, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you for sharing the, the sharing those. I appreciate that. So yeah. truly, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing Joey's story and, and your family with us. And um, I look forward to seeing where you go from here. And um, I hope that one day you will contact that teacher and tell them, excuse me, I've been public speaking. <laughs> you didn't know oh, what I you were talking about. To. That would be amazing. That would be great. And thank you so much for letting me share my story here. It's been amazing. It's so exciting. And I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. You are so welcome. Thank you for listening to Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. 
For all things related to this episode, please go to www.kellysisson.com backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. See you next week for another episode.